0: haven't yet found Habakkuk, then um, the method that was recommended to me is find Matthew and start going backwards. And you'll go past um, Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, Zephaniah, and then you'll reach Habakkuk. We're going to read together from the beginning of chapter one. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. Look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own, They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture, swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own strength is their God. O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgments. O Rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You've made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with, with hooks. He catches them in his nets. He gathers them up in his dragnets, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his nets and burns incense to his dragnets. For by his nets, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his nets? Destroying nations without mercy, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. That is the, the, the portion of Scripture that we're going to uh, look at this morning in what is the beginning of a, uh, a mini-series. Um, and I've toyed with giving it the title, I suppose I am giving it the title by mentioning it to you now. Um, how to respond when painful prayers receive puzzling answers from a mysterious God. How to respond. That is the, uh, the challenge that Habakkuk has set. How to respond when painful prayers receive puzzling answers from a mysterious God. Before We get into that, I'd just like to um, just address uh, young children here so that you know that when we preach the word, it's our conviction that whatever age you are, there's going to be something in this that can grip your heart and uh, that God will use to speak to you as much as he will speak to your parents. I remember an occasion here uh, when I think... um, I'm sure none of you will remember this. I preached what I felt was my worst sermon. And um, I felt very uh, lacking in confidence afterwards and felt that I had not really delivered effectively. And I was speaking to, uh, to Mark and Debbie, who aren't here this morning, and they said, well, it's funny you should say that because Joshua, our son, who at the time was maybe three and a half, for the next week really got hold of what you said about whatever it happened to be. Just goes to show that, and hopefully I'll do a little bit a little bit better this morning. Um, that whatever age you are, you can hear and you can receive something that God wants to say to you this morning. A note to parents of young children: um, That said, sometimes uh, young children can uh, just make a little bit of noise when they're amongst us. Um, they haven't had all the years that we have had to get used to n- knowing what's appropriate when. Um, My wife and I, as well as being here, we also go to the North Congregation up in Shirecliffe, And it's a smaller, slightly more intimate setting. Our daughter, who is two and a half, um, is not unknown to, at the most intimate time of worship, uh, to let off a loud trump uh, in the middle of worship. Or later on, during the preaching of the word, uh, to start singing happy birthday uh, to one of the congregation. If, by... Chance, uh, your two-and-a-half-year-old or similar-aged child uh, reacts similarly. It isn't that unusual, let's face it. Do feel free um, just to kind of take them out to the lobby area for a few minutes to calm them, bring them some instruction, uh, and then come back in, if that's okay. We're going to look at this then, how to respond when painful prayers receive puzzling answers from a mysterious God. You don't need me to tell you, really, Uh, that Habakkuk's prayer is a painful one. It's evident just in reading the scripture this is not comfortable. In fact, the whole book is an uncomfortable book. Um, It is is painful. It's painful to study and it's painful to even just observe what Habakkuk was was going through. In verse 1, it's called an oracle, the, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. Interestingly, that word oracle can also be rendered a burden, the burden that Habakkuk received. It it conjures up something that is weighty, something that he's been asked to carry, asked to move, but from beginning to end is difficult. From beginning to end is cumbersome and painful. Um, And the the pain of his prayer is evident between verses 2 and 4 in what's referred to as his first complaint. Let's look at that. Again, you don't need me to explain... uh, exactly why, um, but let's look at it in in a little bit more detail. Why is this a painful prayer? Habakkuk is looking at his nation, looking at the people of God, and he realizes, first of all, that wickedness amongst the people of God, wickedness in his nation, is rampant. And so he uses a whole number of words to describe this. He begins by mentioning violence. He goes on to mention injustice, wrong. Destruction, strife, conflict, uh, all very charged and negative words. All is not well um, amongst the people of Israel at this point. They have drifted away from the Lord, and so they are ignoring God and devouring uh, one another in various ways. You will know if you've watched a few Indiana Jones films that uh, in each film there comes a certain point where something nasty is rampant. And uh, it might be rats, uh, it might be snakes, it might be uh, scorpions and cockroaches. And there's that normally just horrifying scene where a massive crisis is developing because uh, this this yucky stuff um, is is rampant. That's kind of uh, what's going on here. Not only is wickedness rampant, but righteousness is impotent. Goes on in verse 4 to talk about the law, justice, the righteous, and again mentions justice there. And it's interesting to note how he describes them. The law is paralysed. It's not just that God's law is a bit dusty or a bit rusty. It's not that it's slightly restricted, it's lost a bit of movement, but it can still achieve something. No, it's is paralysed. And it's not just that justice is hit and miss. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. No, justice is perverted. And not only are the righteous in the minority, they are surrounded. They are hemmed in. They're powerless. They've got no room to manoeuvre. They've not got any way of bringing godly influence into the situation. And therefore, again, justice is perverted. Right is wrong. You can't appeal to a higher authority to bring justice because it's perverted. So this is a painful prayer because it is painting a picture that is entirely bleak. And so going back to our Indiana Jones scene... Snakes are pouring in through, oh, forgive me, I hope this doesn't kind of wreck your imagination too much, but snakes or rats or whoever they are, they're pouring in the windows, they are surrounding the, the damson in distress, who is clutching perhaps the, the priceless artefact that this film is all about, but she is surrounded, she has no route of escape and not only maybe our snakes and cockro- cockroaches coming, but all the Nazi buddies or whoever are, are surrounding the place as well. She has no way out. This is not a situation that is suddenly going to get better. It's a bleak situation that will not naturally improve. That's what Habakkuk is looking at: a situation for which there is no human remedy, no human solution. The only hope, humanly speaking, without God's intervention, is that the rate of further decline is slow. It won't naturally get better. It will get worse. It will either get worse really quickly, or perhaps it will get worse slightly slower and more steadily. Only God can change this situation for the better. Improvement will only take place if God steps in In a remarkable way. So what do we find Habakkuk the prophet doing? Well surely he does what is the only logical thing to do. And he prays. And his prayer in effect is a prayer for revival. He sees in the nation amongst the people of God. Something or many things that disturb him to his core. And so he prays. It says there I call for help. I cry out to you how long O Lord that is his cry a couple of questions what is your assessment of the nation what is your assessment spiritually speaking of the United Kingdom or if you're not from the United Kingdom what is your assessment of this nation but also of your own nation what How do you assess what the future is likely to bring? Another question. What is your assessment of the church? By which I don't just mean our church, but I certainly include it. What is your assessment of the church nationally? Of the church globally? And it's easy to kind of ask those questions and then uh, kind of get on a hobby horse and use such phrases as uh, the state of the nation and the youth of today and to kind of whinge and moan and uh, and when that happens, often our reaction can be when we hear those kind of things said our reaction can be oh just, would you just lighten up? It's, it's not that bad and actually it's not really cool to care that much things are never as bad as they seem and uh, The reason I ask those questions, though, is our assessment of both our nation and of the church will affect what we pray for and how we pray. And so if we are satisfied, then our prayers will reflect that kind of sense of everything's okay. If we are, like Habakkuk, confronted with certain aspects in our society and in the church that disturb us to the core, then that will stir in us the same uh, cry for revival that Habakkuk was praying. As well as looking at the nation and looking at the church, obviously what Habakkuk is doing is looking at his nation, the people of God. There are also individual situations in people's lives that will involve painful prayers. In uh, John... 16, verse 33, Jesus encourages his disciples, in this world you will have trouble. Uh, the American theologian D.A. Carson has said, all we have to do is live long enough and we will suffer. And what we see here in Habakkuk is a type of suffering for which there is no human solution, no natural improvement, problems that will not uh, go away, or improve by themselves. Issues that will not uh, that time won't won't deal with, and those things could be like wanting to see a relative, wanting to see a spouse or a child um, come to know Jesus. Time is not going to solve that one. God has to step in and intervene. Or in other areas of personal suffering, there are certain types of Suffering for which there's no natural likelihood of improvement. And as I was thinking about that, I realized, I think, that I have never come across that personally. That all I've done really is observe in a few others what I've seen suffering that will not improve by just the passage of time. What makes this prayer? particularly painful for Habakkuk is that God is silent. And therefore, he begins to deduce, mistakenly I might add, he begins to deduce that God is inactive, and that God is disinterested. We see this in some of the the phrases he uses. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Or as one translation puts it, why do you idly look at wrong? Sometimes for God's people, there are times when it seems as though God is silent and it seems as though he were uh, inactive. And uh, we see accounts of righteous people in the scriptures Having those kind of experiences. So we look in Jeremiah and chapter 14. Jeremiah 14 and verse 8. Jeremiah was actually a contemporary of Habakkuk, so often he was uh, observing some of the same things in society at the time. He says, There, O hope of Israel, its Saviour in times of distress, why are you like a stranger in the land, like a traveller who stays only a night? Why are you like a man, taken by surprise, like a warrior, powerless to save? You are among us, O Lord, and we bear your name. Do not forsake us. It's another painful prayer. Uh, Jesus, when they were uh, crossing Lake of Galilee and was with his disciples, uh, fell asleep in the boat. He was, at that time, seemingly inactive and silent as, um, as the disciples or maybe straining at the oars or the sails, trying to keep things in check. And uh, they interpreted Jesus' actions at that time as disinterest. And in Mark chapter 4, verse 38, they say, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And by Jesus' uh, actions thereafter, it's evident that Jesus does care. They read into his sleeping at that time a lack of care, that wasn't actually there. Now, Christ, risen and ascended, is not limited to a human body, therefore he doesn't get physically exhausted, therefore he doesn't sleep, therefore he's never inactive. Even when Jesus, at that time, was sleeping, he was still caring. And when he, was, when he awoke, he was very, very interested. Often there is a delay to having an answer from the Lord. Obviously, Habakkuk has been praying persistently for some time, hence the words, how long? He does then receive his answer. He's given his painful prayer, which we could sum up with the question, God, your people are in a mess. What are you going to do about it? Please act quickly. That was Habakkuk's painful prayer. He is given a a response God is active, God is attentive, God is involved. He's not idly looking at wrong. It becomes clear that actually whilst Habakkuk has been praying, God has already been working out his plan, which he now chooses to announce uh, from verse 5 onwards. But have you ever asked a question and then wished you hadn't received the answer? This would be like someone... Uh, receiving back their uh, their GCSE or uh, A-level exam results and they realize that in a key subject they've not got the result they needed and they're sure that it was a little bit better than that so they go back to the examiner, they send their paper back in and they appeal to the examiner look at my paper again, I think the mark is wrong the examiner looks at the paper again he agrees, yes the mark is wrong. You thought you had a C. Actually, I realise now that it was a D. Um, you thought that you know the person appealing is hoping that a more positive and convenient answer will come back. It's okay. I got my B. I'm going to wherever. Um, but the answer comes back. Um, well, I'd still like you to go there, but actually, you'll need to resit this subject. And so you'll need to do some hard graft. This is not a convenient answer. Or imagine in your house, you notice a few cracks in the kitchen wall. And uh, you're aware that possibly in the area, um, subsidence might be an issue. So you call in the engineer. And you say, look, I've got a few cracks here. Um, I think this could be serious. Is there some way in which you can kind of just provide some supports... For the back of the house? Is there some way in which you can, you can strengthen that wall? And the engineer looks, does all the tests necessary, and then comes back and says, no, uh, the wall needs to come down, and I will then rebuild it. Uh, oh, uh, examples where perhaps the person asking the question um, didn't get the answer they wanted. Habakkuk is not prepared for the answer that God gives. He's thinking, revival now, breakthrough now, a huge turnaround now. There is a, a drastic problem, Lord, which you step in with a sort of intervention that turns everything into a perfect bed um, of roses. To that, God in effect agrees, yes, the problem is drastic. I have been preparing a solution. And so the answer comes in verse 6. I'm raising up the Babylonians. I'm sending the Babylonians. I can imagine at that point, Habakkuk was saying, Oh no, oh no, you've got it wrong, Lord. I wasn't praying for the Babylonians to come. I was praying for revival to break out. The implications of the Babylonians coming, if that doesn't mean much to you, um, becomes devastatingly clear in what God then goes on to describe about them. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth. goes on, they are feared and dreaded. They are a law to themselves. The Babylonians make up for themselves what they think is right and what they think is wrong. We also see that in verse 9, they all come bent on violence. Habakkuk said, the problem is violence. God says, I'm sending the Babylonians. They're all bent on violence. In verse 10, the, the, the Babylonians as it were, laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps, and capture them. In other words, resistance to the Babylonians is futile. They are fast, they are ruthless, and they have devastatingly simple but effective tactics. Here are these cities, they all have their defences, it's all made up, the wall is fortified, we're, we're prepared for enemies to advance, should that ever happen. The Babylonians come and they just build a big mound of earth and walk over the top and capture the city. Absolutely Absolutely devastating. And I believe Habakkuk is pretty devastated by that answer. Sometimes, when we pray, we, uh, we, we would like to prescribe to God the solution that we think he should apply to the problem that we face. We can... Uh, We can make an assumption, perhaps, beneath our uh, surface-level thinking, we can make an assumption that we know best and that God should agree with our proposed solution. Isaiah, in Isaiah 55, that reminds us in verses 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Actually, God shared the same assessments of the situation, this is horrendous, he shared the same desire to bring revival, which did take place much later, that can read about in Ezra, for example. But God's chosen solution to bring about what Habakkuk was praying for was equally drastic. God knows how severe the problem is, but he also knows the need for drastic action to achieve the turnaround that Habakkuk had been praying for. So, going back to the nation, could things like economic crises, international terrorism, political disasters be examples where God has sent the Babylonians to wake up a sleepy nation to some spiritual realities? And could they also be Babylonians sent by God to rouse nationally a sleepy church? In his book, The Problem of Pain... C.S. Lewis wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. He whispers in our pleasures, he speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a death world. And uh, we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul reflects there on his own personal experience. Now, Paul, if there were such a thing as like a league table in terms of holiness, closeness to God, and so on, and... I I think we would assume that Paul, the great apostle, would come somewhere near uh, the top of that uh, league table. He reflects on his own experiences in Asia in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 and 9. And he, as it were, describes some of his own painful prayers, or he describes some of his own bleak situations. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life indeed in our hearts we felt the sentence of death but this happens that we might not rely on ourselves but on god who raises the dead god could whisper to paul the great holy apostle but actually he needed to shout Notwithstanding how much Paul had received in terms of revelation, how much he had perhaps been sanctified by the Lord Jesus, how far he had already come, God got his attention to ensure that he did not rely on himself, but upon God. So, if revival were to break out this afternoon in Sheffield, And it just so happened that there was a a new worldwide revival of the church. And it just so happened that it started in Sheffield. And this revival was one that was accompanied by no opposition, no persecution, no pain, no death, so that such was the power of God that, like Enoch... Rather than actually die, we all just reached a place where we found that we were walking with God straight into eternity, not needing to pass through physical decay. If that were what happened in revival, a revival without any resistance or any difficulty, a revival without any painful prayers, how long would it be before we concluded we are anointed? Anointed. We can make it happen. Actually, I guess we are about as holy as it's possible to be. No wonder God has given us revival. No wonder he chose to start it in Sheffield. It makes perfect sense, really. How long would it then be before God just started to whisper, I am your God. Gets awfully noisy in revival, Lord. So, you're going to have to speak up. I'm busy praying, and all of these sick people are getting well. Let's do lunch later in the week. This meeting is really going somewhere. I am your God. I'm praying for some Muslims, and they are responding to the gospel. This is awesome. I'm not quite sure I can catch what you said, so tell me another time. How long would it be for God, graciously, I might add, to want to get our attention? I am your God. Rely upon me. This this has been a very tricky uh, message to prepare And not at all comfortable to spend time with Habakkuk, as well as economic crises that God might send in those ways. Have you encountered your own Babylonians recently? Like Paul, you could be quite far on and mature in your faith like Jeremiah you could be confronted with things that are not pleasant you could be someone who has prayed ever so passionately and consistently and yet uh, you are facing your own babylonians how how do we respond how how do we respond to those painful prayers when they are met with puzzling answers from a mysterious God. And we will continue to answer that question. All that we will now look at begins to scratch the surface of it. The first, the first option how to respond is an option not to take. But is outlined in verse five, where God says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. One option is to deny. One option is denial. Interestingly, that verse, Habakkuk 1.5, is quoted in Acts chapter 13 and verse 41. And it says, Um, says they are reading from verse 40 take care that what the prophets have said does not come to you look you scoffers wonder and perish for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if someone told you that was the response to many as the gospel was being preached amongst the early church we don't believe you so Uh, when Stephen was sharing the gospel and was talking to his fellow countrymen um, about Jesus, the purpose of his death, his resurrection, and the need for repentance and turning to him, there comes a point uh, when all those gathered round uh, decided to cover their ears uh, to avoid listening to what he was saying. I believe that for Habakkuk, there was a, a tug of war going on after he heard God's initial response to his prayers. There was a tug of war, there was a battle. Does he flee from God? Does he deny it? Or does he cling to God? It could be tempting in some way to deny what's being said. It could be tempting to uh, deny a number of different things. It could be tempting to deny that God is actually in control. And so God becomes, he becomes nice. He becomes, uh, well, he obviously is. He is love. He's full of love. And so we deny maybe uh, that he's in control and we we latch on only to his love. Um, And so we like spending time with Jesus. Uh, We like that sense of intimacy, but um, having arranged to meet up with God on a couple of occasions, the rest of life is very much about us controlling, us making sure that we are protecting ourselves. Because really, God has demonstrated that he's not in control, and, uh, or he's not attentive, or that he doesn't, uh, he doesn't care. Um, another way of denying would be to accept, oh God, you are in control, okay? You are really um, the power over the entire universe um, but then to start to withdraw from God, suspecting maybe he's not quite as loving as I thought. Um, maybe we then would like to uh, just try and hear what we would like to hear. And like those people listening to, uh, to Stephen, a hardness of heart um, can develop. Habakkuk experienced, I think, a profound tug of war. Does he, does he step back? Does he withdraw from God? Or does he cling to him? Does he in some way look to press in? That is the second uh, point here. How, how to respond. And we're just going to see how, how Habakkuk began to respond. There's far more um, that we will say about this or that we'll look at. How he began to respond. He still has, as we see from verse 12 onwards... Quite a number of questions that he brings. But what we also see is that Habakkuk is recalling what he knows of God. He is beginning to uh, try and find some solid ground, things that he's sure of. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones has written this, We must first remind ourselves of those things of which we are absolutely certain. Things which are entirely beyond doubt. Write them down and say to yourself, in this terrible and perplexing situation in which I find myself, here at least is solid ground. And this is what Habakkuk starts to do. He starts to find uh, the solid ground, things that he knows to be absolutely certain. Here are just a few. In verse 12, he rests on the fact that God is from everlasting God is the eternal Lord who is overseeing every temporary ruler. The Babylonians have been raised up. But there'll come a time when they get squashed. They are temporary. Uh, They come at some stage in the future, they will go. God never fades. He never changes. Rather than just being the king of one particular age a king in one particular era of time, God is king of all ages. He's starting to find some solid ground. He says as well, He is my God, the Holy One. Another piece of solid ground for Him to stand on. 1 John 1 verse 5 says, uh, God is light, in Him there is no darkness at all. In James 1 verse 13, God is cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Habakkuk is finding the solid ground of God's incorruptible holiness. Notice this, he also says, my God, my God, the Holy One. In some way, this seems to be a statement of intent. God, you're my God, I am not, to the best of my abilities, going to let go of you. He goes on to say as well, he addresses God as rock. Now rock is an image of strength and power. Sand provides no strength in a storm. Rock weathers everything that comes its way. And so by saying, oh rock... Habakkuk seems to be saying, God, you are faithful. You are reliable. And right the way through, what he's saying here in his, what's termed his second complaint, is reflecting on the fact that God is a covenant keeping God, a God who keeps promises, a God who is steadfast. Like I say, it is evident that for Habakkuk, there are questions that still remain in his mind, and he is not pretending. He's not pretending that he doesn't have questions. He's not kind of pretending that he still isn't in the midst of trying to puzzle through this very perplexing and painful situation. This is the equivalent of just God dropping the largest bombshell on him out of the blue, unexpected, and he's devastated. And so he is in the middle of processing this horrendous news with emotions raging on the inside perhaps this internal tug of war, still with painful questions buzzing in his mind, but he finds this solid ground. We too need to find this kind of solid ground. And um, I said earlier on that personally, I don't think I have experienced what Habakkuk and what some of you are going through and the fact is that I suppose before something like that happens we don't actually know how we'll respond and so there are some here you do know how you respond you have been responding because you have been in this kind of situation and I hope I really hope And what I've said, that he's communicated uh, a tenderness from the scripture as one who doesn't really know, as one who doesn't personally understand what that is like. For me, and for many others of us, at this time, my hope is that should as and when those calamities or difficulties in life face, which may not come for decades, that I will cling to God. That we will cling to God because we know where the solid ground is. We know that God is from everlasting. We know that he's my God. He's my Holy One. We know that he is a rock. He's steadfast. We know that every, every Babylonian will have its day only for a while. God is king of the ages. God is ruler of all. And so my, my hope and my prayer for us is that we, we know where to find solid ground. It's been so encouraging recently, a growing sense of uh, Of God drawing us into a time of refreshing, indeed, what we uh, hope and pray will uh, be a time of genuine revival, so like Habakkuk, we can see things like, well, yeah, however exactly we, uh, we assess uh, the current situation nationally or in the church or whatever, um, things will only get better with god 's intervention with with God stepping in and doing something doing something quite amazing in bringing a turnaround, bringing a breakthrough, so that actually we can say in this nation and we can say of the of the church in the u k that she 's experiencing a revival where loads of hearts are turning to God it could then be that Whilst enjoying the sweetness and the wonder of revival, at the very same time, we may be experiencing the pain of some of these other things that perhaps we've been looking at. And that in the midst of revival, it will be exciting, it will be so encouraging. The, The tangible sense of knowing God's presence seeing the sick healed, seeing the lost saved, seeing uh, desperate lives turned around, all of that, seeing an outbreak of healing power, could also be accompanied by situations that perplex us and situations where we have to dig in and we have to find our solid ground. I'd like to invite the band back up. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for giving us in your scriptures a whole variety of texts that in different seasons and at different times bring us uh, different encouragements and different um, exhortations. And Father, I pray that as we look, as we have looked, as we uh, will look um, at this book of Habakkuk, Father, I pray that our souls would find in it uh, the richest of fare. I pray that our, our hearts uh, would be encouraged in finding, finding the firmest of grounds. I pray, Lord God, that in these days, our, our faith, our expectation, our experience of what can be termed revival uh, would be growing and growing and growing. And so, Father, I also pray, Lord oh God, would you enable us, weak as we are, to know how to cling to you, to know how to be like Habakkuk in, in praying persistently and then clinging to you. Father, I pray, O oh God, that today these words would bring us much encouragement, O oh God. Let us worship together. Okay, if you just want to stand with me now as we respond.